0: What's up everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift.
1: We are an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids.
0: I'm Chris, you might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity affirming IEPs through my online course.
1: And I'm Jessie, a sensory integration-trained SLP, owner of a top-rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity-affirming
0: ways to support
1: social-emotional development and regulation in autistic
0: kids. Are you ready to make the shift?
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We are so excited today. We have Lyric here, who is also known as NeuroDivergent Rebel. And we cannot wait to have this conversation with you. We are talking all about gender identity and autism and autistic relationships. And I'll do a quick intro of you. So, Lyric is a queer pansexual, trans, non-binary, polyamorous, autistic, whose pronouns are they, them. Lyric owns a consultancy for Neurodivergent Consulting and is the author of a best-selling business ethics book, which was praised in Forbes, which is so impressive. Congratulations on that. And your kind of big mission is just, I mean, it sounds like the name Neurodivergent Rebel came from this. Rebelling against a society who puts all of these kind of constructs on us and values assimilation, rebelling against a culture that values assimilation, I think you say right,
2: yeah, yeah, and, and so you know it's 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 something that is like for me as a human being, my whole life before I knew I was autistic, I didn't find I was autistic until I was twenty nine I like I was called a rebel, a rebel, like I was told I was being rebellious just for existing in like, you know, as my full self and people just thought I was trying to be different and it was meant to be a, an, an insult, uh, but really, you know, it, it was just me being me. Uh, but you know, I, I didn't know any other way. It was just natural to me to be myself. And so once I found out I was autistic, I decided to kind of reclaim that rebel thing that had been used against me my entire life and use that as something that's more empowering for myself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was going to say too, and that's like, as we journey forward and society becomes more accepting towards things, it's got to be liberating to you know, for, for the autistic community and, 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 and as we make gains forward, I feel like, um, that, that is something that, um, is good for us, you know, cause as you mentioned, I think growing up feeling like, um, having to rebel, but people just being mean, it's just like, that's not the kind of society we want to live in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, it's like when you're uh, different in any kind of different, like in any group, when you stand out, you know, being autistic is one way you stand out, even if you don't have a word for it. Unfortunately, like people can be really mean to anything that they perceive as different. And then, you know, not a lot of autistic people in my age group, I'm in my mid-30s and older like we grew up not knowing we were autistic. So we grew up with people being mean to us, but not knowing why people were so mean to us. And so that was like another, like really, you know, hard level too. It's like, oh, people are so mean and I don't know why people are being mean.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I would love to kind of talk about the big picture of like, why are we having this conversation specific to, you know, autism? Like how does gender identity fit with autism? And, And you said something on one of your videos, and I forgot to say that Lyric is like an on-fire content creator, like great YouTube channel, so much good content there. Um, But you said in one of your videos, you said, it's not compatible to be anti-LGBTQIA and pro-autistic. No,
2: it really isn't.
1: (laughs) Maybe you could share, I know you did a poll on Twitter. Um, Maybe you could kind of share like the general results of that.
2: Yeah, so last time I did a poll on Twitter with this, it was like three thousand seven hundred and something people responded in it. And it was it was a really simple question. It was like autistic people, you know, do I even identify as being a member of the LGBTQIA umbrella? You know, that big umbrella. So it's you know your 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 orientation, who you're attracted to or not or, you know, your gender identity with your, whether you're trans uh, or non-binary, you know, and all of those things. And inclusive of all of that, it was like 75 or 74% were like, yes, you know, I'm in that queer umbrella. And only like 24 point something percent was no. And and it was really cool to see that finally, like broken out in a number. And then later we had more like official research come out. Like there was a spectrum, had an article come out with a survey that had like thousands of people that like proved that autistic people are more likely to be trans which like finally we're like oh yeah we've known this for a while Uh, and see that was one of the first things I noticed when I first uh, was diagnosed autistic back when I was 29 and started entering autistic spaces you know as like I've been I knew I was queer my whole life I've known since I was like you know like probably about the time hormones started kicking in I started to understand that more uh so you know preteens or so I've known I was queer but I didn't know I was autistic and so it's like all of a sudden you know I'm used to being especially I'm from Texas so that's like in the minority and most queer people in Texas are still living in the closet when I was growing up um and so like coming into autistic spaces all of a sudden it was like the straight people were in the minority in autistic spaces. Like it was noticeable how most of the autistic people around me were actually queer. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, you know, because it was like, i mean, in two ways of like finding my, my people, so to speak, that are like relate and understand my experiences in multiple avenues.
1: Yeah, and I think the study you're talking about, I think you talked about it in one of your videos and it was like 650,000 people were surveyed. So it was a huge group, group and it was that um, all of those people were people who didn't identify with the sex they were assigned at birth. And in that group, they were three to six times more likely to be autistic. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. for yeah. parents watching this, for professionals watching watching this, that's such a significant number and, you know, it makes sense why you can say you can't be anti LGBTQIA and be pro autistic. Um accepting, you know, and understanding gender identity is such an important part of being able to support our kids and like support our kids in ways that most people didn't have growing up. Yeah. And you said something really interesting in one of your videos. I sound like such a stalker, (laughs) (laughs) but you said that your gender was assigned at birth, which is exactly what it felt like, that it was something assigned to you, like you had no decision in it. Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, and, and that's you know what it is for, for a lot of us. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, I've been given this label. It's like, okay, here's this label and this role and all of these expectations that come with this label. And then it's like, you know, I remember being probably i was in preschool so i don't know how old are you in preschool four or five years old or so preschool age and and thinking you know that all adults are asking me this really horrible question adults ask kids it's a loaded question it's like what do you want to be doing to grow up and it's like me like strongly not feeling like a woman even as a young child but not understanding like how to explain that at that young age i was like my answer is like i want to be a cat (laughs) because i literally couldn't <laughs> imagine growing up and being a person because it was like this was this expectation that like everyone had of me and it was like this does not even compute to me uh and then you know like with like being an autistic person like for a lot of things it's just like social constructs like for me i know i like i look at them i see them i see other people doing them and like they just like i can understand why they could maybe make sense for other people but like some of them just don't seem logical to me, and it's even been like since I was like a young person, like you know it's like i'm you know you mentioned listing out all of my labels with going into this, I'm also polyamorous, and that's like I've known I was polyamorous since I was like twelve, and I've known that that was something that was shameful, and being someone who was female presenting uh when I was twelve like that was really thought of as being slutty and inappropriate to not have that monogamous point of view, you know especially in the Bible belt. <laughs> and it's still like people still like you you tell them that and people think you're just a horny pervert or you're just like they fetishize it or they have all these ideas like oh don't tell my husband that they're going to get bad ideas And it's like i don't want your husband like you know like all of these things that people think because they just hear all of these stereotypes and it's like you know being autistic same thing like there's all these stereotypes if whether you're queer you're trans there's all these stereotypes and really with all of these things we're just we're people you know that that's what it comes down to is we're humans just like anyone else
1: yeah well speaking of let's break down some of these terms how about that we throw you a term and (laughs) maybe you give us a quick definition for anyone who doesn't know or isn't quick fire fire. sure okay here we go let's do the first one as biological sex Oh yeah.
2: So you know that that's generally gonna be that that assignment, right? And and the thing that I wanna make sure we point out about this uh is you know, people like I'm non-binary. So people are all the time are like, there you can't just make up a new gender. And one, like non-binary is not a new concept. It's been around like since before colonialism. But even sex, like, you know, the, the physical characteristics that we stereotypically assign, male or female uh isn't binary like there's a whole spectrum of human sex characteristics and you know we have got intersex people so we want to make sure like we realize like they those people exist right and mm-hmm. sex and gender are both spectrum neither one is black and white like nature and you look around is not black and white either like the only thing that's black and white usually are things that are created by people binary code like all of these concepts good and evil male and female very binary it's like artificial created by by people really it's 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 not you know it's not even natural when you think about that like nothing in nature is just binary
1: yeah so true so biological sex I think I've heard you say before too it's like what's in your pants That's yeah.
0: not-
2: <laughs> and it's like why are we so obsessed with knowing that like right like it's kind of creepy <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true.
1: So, let's get into some of these others, okay? Um sexual orientation.
2: Yeah, and so I like to say orientation uh because, you know, it's not always like it's who you're attracted to basically. And so like asexual people, for example, are included in that spectrum and they have attractions that have nothing to do with sexuality or being sexually attracted. They can be romantically attracted to people. And so I, I, I don't use the term sexual orientation just because there's so many ways you can be attracted to someone that have nothing to do with sexuality or sex. So, that's just me personally, but really it's all about who you're attracted to, or, you know, if you're completely not attracted to anyone at all, that, that's valid too. Like some people are completely you know, asexual, aromantic, not attracted to other people. And, you know, that's, that's a valid spectrum. And, you know, autistic people fall in that spectrum sometimes too. So, you know, that's really important to realize and not forget about.
1: Yeah. I have an autistic colleague who identifies as asexual and she's like, she'll just post, you know, she'll be like, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't, you know? So it's just um, always really interesting to hear all the perspectives. And ways people identify okay how about gender then that leads us to bigger discussion
2: yeah so that that really is this social construct we've got this social identity uh, and so you know we, we say you know gender as the social construct it's like how society says a person should behave based on whatever the expectations of society are for you know the person in that assigned role right and so it, it's a completely made up concept, right? It doesn't really exist if we take it away. And so like, for example, like looking at, you know it changes like country to country or even time period to time period. If you go back several hundred years like men wore white powder wigs and and makeup and, and you know, men wore dresses and things were very different once upon a time. So it's like all of that is dependent on time and space because right. it is like relative and it's also dependent on social norms. And so when we have people who are gender non-conforming or like are falling outside of what is considered socially normative or socially acceptable, we see more of that, you know, that bullying and people being afraid, unfortunately, because people are othered instead of like accepted and included, you know, we should, we meet people with like, Oh, you know, that's something different. I don't understand it. Instead of being curious and, Uh, welcoming and and receptive Uh, so you know that's like we want to make sure like we're not forcing everyone into being socially acceptable uh, because some of us are going to struggle with that more than others and the people who are more multiply marginalized and have you know multiple identities are going to struggle in more ways to be able to conform to what's socially acceptable and you know you shouldn't have to like the weight of the expectation to be someone or something you're not it's, it's a really heavy burden and it kind of tells you like, Oh, you know who you are date downside isn't enough. And you need to follow that up because we don't want to, we, you know, that's not okay here. And that's soul destroying soul destroying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much research on masking. And it's like, when you have to hide your true authentic self to conform that just over time builds up so much anxiety and leads to other, other difficulties. And so um, I feel like that ties directly into, into that as well, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, And time. it just
1: makes me think, hearing you talk about it, like how many people are avoiding these conversations just because they don't know how to have them or they're uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that that just leaves, like, you think about kids. Like you say, you knew this was who you were from the time you were so young, even like preschool, you know? Oh, yeah adults avoid those conversations because they don't know how to have them
0: right and I spent
1: so
2: many hours you know mental anguish over these things on my own as a kid because you know you even if you don't like know why you can tell when attitudes about something in like around you in society are not good or like you can tell like this is something other people won't understand and I keep it to myself Which is kind of similar about finding out I was autistic as an adult. It was like all these things I had hidden about myself, which I was like, people won't understand this. Hide this. Keep that to myself. That's like, that's a that's a a thing you just don't do in public. It was like autism, autism, autism. It's like, you know, realizing how much of that I'd been hiding. Like Elsa, conceal, don't feel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right.
1: So, would you? Is that what you would describe as like gender dysphoria, where you have that? feeling of I don't know stress overwhelm because there's an incongruence in how people are I how you identify versus the how you were assigned at birth I don't know did that make sense
2: well you know it's an incongruence like for me like I am someone who likes Like I need to be able to be authentic, not just likes, I have a need to be able to be authentic because it's so hard for me to stay between the lines. Like anyway, that like, I I think I'm staying between the lines, but really I'm totally standing out even when I think I'm blending in, you know? And so I'm putting through exhausting amounts of effort, you know, to blend in when it's not even working. So that doesn't work out very well for me. But then also at the same time, Like it, it just really holds me down more to blend in. And then, you know, with finding out I was autistic, the big thing is like that mask that you mentioned started to fall away because I started to really ask myself like how much things I was doing was performative or was for the sake of other people or because I thought it was expected of me or what I thought other people wanted me to do versus what I really wanted or... Uh, You know, if I was really being myself or being authentic or speaking, you know, what I felt was like my true feelings. And how I realized how much I was holding back. And so I started to let more of like my feelings and my needs be heard, which is hard because you have to like learn to be vulnerable. And I I was not very good at being vulnerable at all uh, at the beginning. Uh, And, you know, once a lot of that started to fall away, like the autism piece, the gender stuff was like just staring me in the face because I realized how much of that was also very performative, and didn't feel authentic. And it was like, you know, I would look at myself in the mirror, or I would like, you know, see myself, or just, you know, be reminded of, you know, just like myself, like, you know, and it would just feel like I was being a fake person, like I felt fake, and just feeling like a fraud made me feel like I just hated myself for it. And so it's like it it for me resulted in a lot of feelings of self-hatred and self-resentment, which I think is kind of interesting because before I was diagnosed autistic, I was going through a lot of feelings of self-hatred and self-loathing for a lot of my autistic traits before I realized those were autistic traits. Cause I was like trying to overcome all of these autistic traits and I couldn't do it. And I was like, why can't I do this? And I was just burning out and getting really sick. And I was like, I can do anything. And it was like, I didn't know it was being autistic. And it was like, I was diagnosed with autistic, autistic. I was like, oh, this isn't something to overcome. This is like, I don't have to keep fighting this anymore. I can just exist and, you know, live and, and be for the first time in my life.
1: Were there any people that you just had to like cut out along the way where it's like, once you had that realization, you were like, okay, this isn't helpful for me to be around this person or you know were you more intentional about who you were spending your time with and things like that
2: oh absolutely uh you know i I cut i cut my job and and went to a different career path and went to a different employer first i cut everyone out and that you know because i realized not only was the the people but you know the environment was toxic because toxic people create a toxic environment so i had to remove myself from that environment And then, you know, the other thing is like, it wasn't even just people that I chose to cut out, but people that when I started to be more authentic and stop holding my tongue, people cut themselves out because they weren't my people to begin with. And that kind of sucks sometimes because you're like, you're losing people that you thought were your people. And then you realize once you stop, you know, putting this idyllic artificial person out there that a lot of people you thought were your people aren't your people but now like my circle's much smaller, but it's, you know, the people in my circle are worth their weight in gold and they're people I really know I could trust. And I think that's worth a lot more, you know, to me personally. Um, I've also become a lot more aware of my own vulnerabilities and trying to like see if people are good for me or not. So I'm like really guarded. Like you have to like make it through a lot of, uh, tests and me being like a nervous shy animal to like before I trust you enough to let you into that inner circle too so it's like I keep that a lot uh like I I, I'm more hesitant to let people in than I was before I found out it was autistic because I'm really aware of how limited energy like is especially like social energy and how much social things are draining and confusing to me especially with new people
1: yeah, and that makes me think about, we just recorded an episode on trauma, you know, and it's like, um, you're protecting yourself, but this is like a learned protection, you know? Oh,
2: yeah. yeah. Because I used to be the opposite. Like, when I was a kid, I was completely the opposite. Like, I was the kid that would, like, go up and info dump to strangers about my special interest, which was dogs, and I would not have any idea nobody was interested. And I'd just keep rambling and, like, people would just be nice to me because I was a kid and it was cute. But then once I got to be big enough that it wasn't cute anymore, I realized like people didn't actually like what I had to say. And then it became like the opposite. Cause I just started assuming like nobody wants to hear what you have to say. You're annoying and you you annoy everyone. And so it's like, it's been a total shift like for me. So now it's hard to believe anyone could possibly like not have alternative motives because of all that trauma, like I've experienced, or like in high school, like, I learned I didn't learn until high school that people would like pretend to be your friend when they weren't your friend, you know, frenemies. And like I didn't have any like mental preparedness for that. And so like high school was really traumatic because people would like pretend to be my friend because they wanted something from me or they were gonna trick me into doing something so that I would get in trouble and they could laugh at it, you know, or like all of that stuff. It's like I learned a lot of that, like just the hard way because it was like oh I automatically thought like if people are nice to you that means they're your friend which you know isn't the case
1: if only (laughs) the world was like that and you have talked about I think you said something along the lines of like once I let my freak flag fly is when I was able to like attract the people who were like me you know and I'm just wondering um for like professionals listening or parents who are wanting to support their child or their clients in building those authentic relationships? Like what was really helpful for you and being able to do that?
2: Yeah. So, you know, for me, like I had to really get to know myself first. And I, I think I didn't spend the first 30 years of my life knowing myself. Which is really sad, but a lot of autistic and neurodivergent people, uh, other people, like our whole lives we have other people telling us who we are, like what we should be able to accomplish, you know, like for me it was like, try a little harder, you're not applying yourself, or you're stubborn, you're a rebel, you're sensitive, you're this, you're that, you're that you, you know, you have so much potential if you adjust, or, you know, some of us, it's like, you you don't have enough potential, or, you know, they tell you're lazy, or, you know, all these things, like, we're told we can't, or we can, or, you know, and it's like, everyone's projecting onto us, and we don't know what we're capable of, especially with kids, like, you don't know, like, with a little kid, especially, like, preschool, or younger, like, what that kid's going to be capable of as an adult, you just can't, uh, but what I do know is, if you take one kid and teach that kid their entire lives that they ne- and tell them they're never going to be able to do things, they're never going to amount to anything. Tell them constantly remind them of all the things they can't do, and you never show them the things that they're good at, and you never teach them to focus on their strengths and you never teach them to grow their passions and their their skills, then they're not going to succeed. But if you took that same exact kid and you nurture them and you teach them, you know, to do the things they're good at and lean into their skills, instead of you know teaching them to only focus on like all their failures, you're gonna have a very different self-esteem. Just because like those, you know, they, there's there's like memes uh, online talking about how your parents' voices. Become your inner monologue. And if it's like always berating you and it's like always telling you you're not enough, and this goes for neurotypical or neurodivergent kids, Mm -hmm. you know, any regardless, like if the inner monologue from your parents was telling you you weren't enough your whole life growing up as a kid, you're going to believe that as an adult. And unfortunately, with autistic kids, everybody's always telling us what we're going to be. And so we have all of these external messages here. And so we need to like believe in ourselves so strongly. And I think that's the most important thing is like, getting these autistic people from a young age to be able to believe in themselves and know what they're capable of instead of being so drawn into like what the world thinks they can't do.
1: That's so powerful. So true.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's excellent advice in meeting the students with where they're at rather than some of these approaches that are out there that you're probably real familiar with where it's like, Teaching these neurotypical skills and this masking and all of these other harmful approaches is is uh just not the way to to go. I think, yeah, meeting meeting the children where they're at, understanding differences and providing the tools as well as the language so that way the narrative in their brain becomes the actions and their habits day to day.
1: Yeah, Big and I mean just your. I think you sharing your story is going to help so many people and just talking about it so freely because you have this like point in your life where it's like this anguish that you went through for 30 years or however many years, at least through high school, right? Um, Or until your diagnosis, maybe 29. And then you have this like new version of yourself that you are trying to release and live more freely as yourself. And you know, for people to be able to hear what it's like on either side of that, I think is really powerful.
2: It's completely life changing to have that perspective shift. And it's like, you know, looking back at my life, it's like all the moments now. Like makes sense. Like everything relates to frozen. It's like that little snowman. It's like everything will make sense when you are older. It's like that wouldn't have happened if I didn't find out I was autistic. But now that I know that, it does make sense. You know, it's like it's that's kind of the come full circle with it, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, definitely. I was even
0: thinking on like relationships and stuff too, when we are able to be ourselves, our authentic selves and And even show parts that we're uncomfortable with in ourselves, that ends up creating a true partnership. Um, You know, I think that's a really, as I was thinking about that recently, I was like, you know. I'm going to show Jesse the real me. (laughs) But a lot of times, I'm not kidding. Like I was thinking about this, even just just in relationships in general, a lot of times people will hide who they are their whole life you know? Oh yeah. They Yeah. That's I like, love
1: what you were saying though. I feel like that self-assessment is something everyone should do. Like everyone where they go through and they say, well, am I doing this because it makes me happier? Or am I doing this for other people? Yeah. Like that would change the world if everyone could have that discovery. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. almost
0: like even having that affirmation of, well, I understand this might make other people, uh, I might not be pleasing everybody or making them uncomfortable, but I'm doing this for my own mental health and my own tranquility and peace yeah, you know? and that's
2: hard sometimes you know yeah. if you're recovering people pleaser like
1: that's really difficult that that is chris he is a recovering people pleaser you're I learning i still do
0: it honestly i'm not gonna <laughs> lie it's draining but i still do it Oh, uh, i know that's that's a hard definitely a hard thing <laughs>
1: we'll do this exercise tonight this will be our pillow talk
0: Well, the thing about being a people pleaser is that you don't set boundaries and limits. And so what ends up happening is that you just end up saying yes to everybody because you want to make them happy. And what ends up happening is you get so damn burnout. It's, it really impacts you like, Oh, and here. here
2: here's something to think about that. If you're, you know, if you're a people pleaser out there, because this was a mind shift that really helped me with that is like, when you you're giving in to letting people violate your boundaries as a people pleaser, you think you're doing so to help out the relationship, but really you're ruining the relationship because you're actually going to resent that person for violating your boundaries, even though you let them violate your boundaries. And so you're actually completely like counterproductive to everything, like ruining the relationship uh, you know, pissing yourself off because you, you know, now you've like, you know, let somebody push a boundary you didn't want to. So it like, it doesn't actually help anything. It just kind of makes there more tension in the air really in the end when it comes down to it.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. I think about that. Like when you, when you end up setting boundaries, the people that get upset or the ones that were taking advantage of you, it's like, you don't want those people <laughs> anyway. Exactly. We're gonna swat the moths to get them away. <laughs> we'll attract mm-hmm, the angels, mm-hmm. not the moths. The <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about a light. You know how light attracts angels, but it attracts moths. That's it. Attracts yeah. angels? Angels. That's a yeah. Oh. Lights attract angels. I I think that's the saying. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> get rid of the moths. Yeah. Yes
1: get rid of the the moths. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I just think this is going to be such a great conversation for so many people to hear. Absolutely. I think it's just helpful. We've, we've learned a lot from you and all of your videos. And I will say, I think I first found you through your posts for anyone interested where lyric posts, you know, autistic asking autistics, and then you'll post a question and only autistic people are supposed to answer. And it's just like, we, we talk about those posts all the time because it's really cool that you can post a question and then you have like hundreds of people, different people, all autistic with different opinions, commenting their experience. And it's just like, you're you're putting all of these perspectives in one post where you can read, which is awesome. So um, you guys should definitely follow Lyric. We will post your everything your youtube your instagram your website
0: yeah so it's on youtube with the um the they can search neurodivergent rebel and that will be your YouTube channel? You you can
2: search me anywhere. Uh, I'm YouTube. I've got my website as well. It's got transcripts of all my videos. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm even on TikTok uh, a little bit. Uh, But If you just search Neurodivergent Rebel, you you can find me on any platform. A lot of the asking autistic stuff, if you want to see like a lot of the responses, are probably going to be on Instagram or Facebook. But like those community community conversations were, were really important to me because I never wanted my voice to be the only voice on my platform. So it's like I use my stories as a launch point, but there's a lot of great voices of people in the community who have a lot of different experiences. And I, lo- I love you know, getting to see and share those.
1: That's yeah, amazing. That's awesome. yeah. and you also do consulting, right? Do you want to share a little about that?
2: Yeah, sh- yeah. And, and so I've been, I I was working in an in-house in another consulting firm and then COVID happened. And so I ended up On my own, doing the same thing when there was like nothing else, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it's like I never would have jumped. Uh, So, what I've been doing for the past several years is working with organizations of all different sizes, from five to over a million, that want to be more inclusive of you know neurodivergent people within their workplaces and organizations. Uh, But you know, I only take on you know three to five clients in a month at the most. So that's, that's why I wrote that the book uh, Workplace Neurodiversity Rising uh, to try and make that into a handbook because you know the client base that I take on is is really limited and it is a really big problem and we really need every organization to start asking themselves if they really are inclusive and if neurodivergent people within their workplaces have emotional safety to bring their authentic self to work as we were talking about today is like bringing your full authentic self and not having to hide parts of yourself away, like feeling like, are you safe enough to really be here? Uh, Because like with workplaces and organizations, especially if you want to have creativity and have people that are bringing new ideas and pushing the envelope, people need to have emotional safety to be creative and be vulnerable to bring those new ideas. Because if you have no emotional safety innovators are going to be stifled and aren't even going to want to be shared sharing so it's bad for business
1: yeah you don't have to say that twice to us we're big into that um yeah you have to feel safe in order to even have access to those parts of your brain and be able to think in those creative ways so
0: i wanted to mention too because you mentioned consulting and you never know who's watching this or who's going to listen but love on the spectrum season two us version is starting to roll out their casting and i want you to be the consultant for that show because they need that (laughs) i'm serious they need you they need somebody who gets it somebody who just um comes at it with with where you're coming from i'm that's what that's what's needed because nothing against the past seasons but there have been some things where I'm like, they Did just they had custom? the wrong. They need a new editing
2: that's... team though. They need a new edit I, Because like, I, what I've heard is they like added awkward pauses in there that weren't even really there and things like that. And I'm like, like, as long as they're going to portray it in that way, like, I wouldn't honestly be willing to touch something like that with a 10 foot pole because I can't yeah. know yeah. they're going to yeah. do a pre- respectable portrayal.
0: That's what they need, a respectable portrayal, because, yeah, I mean, in one of the seasons, they were teaching neurotypical communication skills to two autistic individuals. And then it kind of rolled out on the next show where it didn't work out so great. I'm like, well, gosh, (laughs) why did they have this (laughs) as the show? I've
2: not been able to get past one episode in in either season or or in that show.
1: Together right now is together probably because they have very similar interests of like water parks right, and, right, right. and amusement parks and animals. And, but anyway, we are slightly connected with a couple of people who have been on that show. So we just need to. We talk
0: need to that. Them. Yeah. And we need, so here's the other, one other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap <laughs> it up is that they need to pay the autistic casting people that are on it because they haven't done that in the past. And that's just not right. So season two, uh, U.S. version pay the the okay. cast. Okay, anyway, yes. I digress. Yeah, I digress. Terrible. Anyway, on the I got, I got, I got In up on a consulting. There.
1: Yeah, I get it.
0: But you oh, know okay. what I was getting at. We're 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 gonna reach. Yeah,
1: we need more people like lyric doing the consulting. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your time and for just sharing your stories. And we will put all of your links in our show notes and encourage everyone to follow you because we've learned so much. And yeah, thank you so much. Yeah,
0: thank you so much. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you both. Y'all have
2: a wonderful rest of your rest of your day.
0: Thank Absolutely. You. You Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend.
0: Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.